welcome to another episode of Problem Busters with myself, Jonathan, and my honourable co-host, Ollie. I like the way you introduced me. Good oh, evening. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> We've made it through the week, my friend. Yes, we have. We are recording this on a Friday. I must say, a pretty good Friday. It was quite sunny today, actually, which is a change. We got a bit of snow in London this week. And a bit of sun. How does that work? Yeah, I know. You know, Britain. I actually heard from a colleague that she got caught in the snow on a bike ride and then on the way back on the same bike ride, it was so warm and sunny that she got down to a (laughs) t-shirt. Wonderful. Never surprised me. Weather in Britain. So we have a guest today. We do indeed. So welcoming to the show, Heather Rook. Now, Heather is a multi-hyphenate. And I'm going to leave you to explain what that is, Heather, because it's quite unique. Thanks, Ollie. And hi, Jonathan. Yeah, multi-hyphenate is a person with several professions or skills. I'm a psychodynamic counsellor, a mindset and growth coach, and also holistic therapist. Good. And what is a holistic therapist? Working with different therapies that support the mind, body and soul. For example, I teach meditation. I do various forms of massage. It's working with the body to support the mind and the soul, really. Awesome. Super interesting to see people starting to bring together different types of modalities, not just in therapy, but in a lot of, a lot of areas in medicine and, and in science. I like the fact that this kind of feels like the decade of collaboration or in engineering terms, the decade of composites, right, Jonathan? The mixing of materials to make new and interesting things. So now we've got you on to talk about a problem today, which is getting to know yourself so that you can bring change into your life. And as we started to talk about having you come on the show, that's what really jumped out at us, wasn't it, Jonathan, because of what's happening in the world right now. So I guess the first question, Heather, is have we lost touch with ourselves as a society as we come out of lockdown as we start to go outside more and hopefully spend less time on our screens? And how are you seeing that affect people that you are treating? I think in general, with the evolution of technology, automation, and the digital world, as well as globalization, we have a lot of convenience, which is great. It gives us the capacity to achieve more in our lifetimes, not to mention saves lives. However, for me, it's important to recognise and take action in regards to some of the impacts of all those developments. I feel that we have an opportunity to revisit and reconnect with some of the powerful systems that we have within ourselves and our environment, because sometimes we're looking for new solutions when solutions have already evolved and are there for us to harness within our natural world. I know about you, Jonathan, but when I spend too much time on my screen, I compared to when I'm standing on the waterfront, looking at the sea, they are completely different states. And I know this, but I still spend too much time on my screen. Yeah, I understand that as well. But I'm slightly, I come from the era of where everything is, I've just been surrounded by screens my whole life. There's a, there's a saying that me and my friends have, when you're sort of a 90s baby, you can't necessarily have a meal without watching something. <laughs> <laughs> From the state where I remember being outside, but I also remember that sort of automation coming into play with a lot of things where 
you would take a trip to the bank and you can enjoy a nice walk through the park and do things like that when now all of that is replaced by a lot of online things yeah so that leads me to my next question how do you help people like myself or people of my predicament sort of get to know themselves and understand their mindsets to then sort of change um, I think one of the most important things is about how the way in which I support people is is working with them to optimise their life by helping them to listen to their mind, body and soul. So what you just said there, Jonathan, I totally agree. And please, I want to reiterate, I don't advocate getting rid of all of that technology. It's an amazing thing. But it's how do we find the balance and making sure that we're also taking care of those essential things to us, the things that bring us that energy. And I think by working with people to truly listen to what their mind, body and soul is telling them, we're able to identify who they truly are, what they want, and that leads us to being able to achieve far beyond their perceived potential, as well as living happier, healthier, fuller lives. Hmm, nice. So... One thing I picked up on what you said was sort of mind, body and soul. So I can understand the difference between your sort of your mind and your body. How would you differentiate between your mind and your soul? What are the factors or how would you define your mind and how would you define the soul? Yeah, because I guess the mind is our thoughts and our reasoning. It's how we think and how we reason with ourselves. Whereas I see the soul as being far more intuitive it's the emotion it's how we feel within ourselves and it's recognizing it's the part that knows whether we're feeling joy or not i see that's really interesting i'm sorry i'm approaching this from the starts of like a noob so i'm just going to be asking you a lot of stuff <laughs> a lot of things but yeah that, that's quite interesting that you think golly yeah totally and what i find interesting about that is a lot of the the working on myself type things that I've done over my life have been all about calm the mind. What you think about, notice what you think about, change what you think about so it's more positive. But there's not as much that's been talking about notice how you feel. And that actually seems a lot easier to me on face value. I'm in a situation, how does it make me feel? That seems like quite an easy starting point. Yeah, yeah, it does. So if we think about from how we feel and how we think onto mindset, how would we work on our mindset? How do you coach people to change their mindset? It starts at that point, like Ollie just said, about how to really tune in to listening to ourselves. And that's not just listening to the feelings, the emotions. It could be listening to your body. What are you feeling within your body? What are you feeling in your thoughts? Where are your thoughts leading you? And when we start paying attention to ourselves, we can really start to understand ourselves and start to recognize the trends and the patterns that are telling us something. And that's how we get to know ourselves. And by getting to know ourselves, we can start to then think about how we want to be and I help people work on that gap of where they are and where they want to be and support them in getting there. Mm. And, you know, this made me realize that, Jonathan, we're so keen to get into this topic that we haven't actually asked you, Heather, to tell us a bit about your journey. So 
Speaking of paying attention to what's happening and making a change, would you like to give us a quick canned history of what got you to hear from the corporate world to hear? Yeah, having spent over 20 years in a high-paced corporate world, working for a value-based organisation that I loved on both a national and a global level, I decided to take the leap to evolve my business, focusing on my passion, which is for supporting people to invest in themselves and optimise their lives. Because it's a discovery that I found within myself, and I realised the immense joy it also gives me helping other people to do this. As a result of that, I started probably 10 years ago doing my own practices, as I would call them, my holistic practices, and things like meditation, journaling, but what we just talked about, noticing and focusing on the self. And then my passion for mental health also led me to pursuing my diploma in counselling as a psychodynamic counsellor. I know there's a lot of confusion out there over what these different labels are in the mental health world. You have psychologists, psychotherapists, counsellors. So to give a synopsis of what psychodynamic counselling is, it's understanding one's past and its impact on the present. So by exploring experiences and feelings, it's possible to gain a greater understanding and to be conscious of the roots of these which then leads us to the potential for growth and change. And I guess coaching is something that I've done for many, many years um, within the work that I do. It's, it's one of my passions, seeing people develop and grow. So, yeah, I guess the three have kind of knitted together quite nicely in the fact that counselling looks at the past and its impact on the present. Holistic therapies support people in having the best life in their present and coaching is about aspiring to our futures and setting our pathway for our futures and getting there. Now you're muted because of a little one in the background, Jonathan. <laughs> Bless <Wow>. her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, wow. That makes a lot of sense. That does make a lot of sense. And I like how it all comes together. It's like it's full circle. <laughs> if we think about, I guess, I wouldn't say the here and now, but in terms of personal well-being, what would you say self-care means to you? And what would you recommend we apply any sort of tips you have on self-care that would apply to, to our daily lives? Yeah, for me, self-care is... I think a lot of the times when we think of self-care, it's like, oh, treat yourself to some downtime or go have a nice relaxing bath. But for me, self-care goes a lot deeper than that. It's about really focusing on ourselves internally. It's things like, I mean, I don't know if you've read Miracle Mornings by Elrod. But he sets out a number of practices, and I still kind of follow those practices to today. So he talks about savers, which is silence, which for me is meditation. Now, affirmations is something people struggle with a little bit because they think it's looking in that mirror and saying, I am beautiful, I am good. The way I work with affirmations is I find songs with lyrics that really mean something to me. And that really lift me and my energy. And I've got them on a playlist. 
and when I get up in the morning and I'm getting ready to face the day, I play that music. He then talks about visualization, which is knowing where you want to be, setting your attention, being able to see it, exercising, which is so important for all of those great hormones that we have in our body that give us all the positive feelings, reading, which I find my inspiration in, and journaling. So he calls scribing, which I journal and by journaling, I'm able to really reflect on myself and notice trends and patterns within myself. So for example, if I just write down, I really want to do less of that. And I notice that I'm putting down on several days, I really want to do less of that. There's something in my mind saying, well, why aren't you doing less of that? Or why aren't you doing more of that? So some very small, simple practices that get you to focus on yourself and look after yourself. I've just written that book down too, so that will be in the show notes for folks. That really touches me, the idea of self-care being more than just downtime. And I love a bath and I love a lie down on the floor and I love and I love a walk. But somebody said to me a few years ago, I said, what do you mean I need to look after myself better? And they said, what would you suggest to somebody else? Just do that for yourself, like you were looking after them. And somehow that was easier. Does that make sense? Yeah, because for me, when people are like, oh, you need some downtime. I really haven't had a blueprint of what you do in downtime other than do nothing. <laughs> so that's some really good insight because to be honest, I think the exercise and the music is really, I tend to do, um, scri scribing as well, uh, sometimes. Um, yeah, but I really enjoy drawing as well. So something I enjoy that it gives me a bit of a rest and takes me outside of myself and calms me down. Yeah. That's really interesting. And drawing, Jonathan, is a form of meditation in a way because you are focusing and stilling the mind. Ah. Do you know, I've got a friend of mine, Kamal. He's a really good artist. And I've watched him from, I think he's been drawing for a few years now. Um, but he we, he started back when we were in secondary school and stopped. He went back to it. And he's gotten very good. But the way he was talking, because I reached out for some advice when I was drawing. And he was coaching me. And the way he was coaching me, it was more of a, as if he was teaching me Tai Chi, <laughs> which is quite amazing. I used to have like a, a martial arts uh, teacher used to teach me. It was Bagua, which is like a, one of the older martial arts. And there was just a real, I really understood, or well, I had the sense that he was actually, it was really like he was coaching me. And it was that type of meditation where it's like, all right, you need to do this when the movement of the pencil and knowing when you're looking at shapes and thinking of shapes and planning things out, I was like, oh, okay. And yeah, you could tell for him, it's really that sort of type of meditation. Yeah, it's funny you say that. Mm. Do you know, my experience of coming from Australia where I had lots of space, New Zealand where I had lots of space before it, to England where I had less space, I actually just did a check in my mind. My fiance will be pleased to know that less was the right word and not fewer. That's another grammatical change that you notice coming from the Antipodes up to England. Sometimes your words just aren't right, Jonathan. Yeah, I just noticed that. Actually, I lost my train of thought. What was I saying? About the space of New Zealand. Thank you. The space. <laughs> I, it's been a long day. I used to meditate so easily. And I didn't really do a lot of yoga because I could meditate. 
and I could sit in a room and close my eyes and someone could put a CD on with a waterfall or something like that and that's all I needed. And I'd still fidget and I'd still think this isn't working and a certain amount of time later when we decided that was enough, I'd always feel amazing and think I should do this every day, right? When I got to the UK, I just wasn't able to meditate so easily. And I think it might be because there's just a lot of noise. There's a lot going on and the spaces are much closer. So I felt like there was more happening around me, kind of like closing your eyes when you're on the side of a busy street. You still know the street is there. But what I found in the UK is that yoga just took its place as a form of calming me down and didn't really need to meditate after that as long as I do yoga regularly and I wonder if to some yoga is kind of like drawing or meditating just a calming what do you think Heather? Well I think meditation or mindfulness whatever words are used to describe it is about steadying the mind it's about being able to look at our thoughts notice our thoughts but not take any action on them not feel that we need to take action on them. So it's not about emptying the mind, it's about stilling and focusing the mind. So in actual fact, whether that be running for some people, yoga for other people, some people it could be their journaling, it's what takes you to that place where you can still the mind and you can calm the nervous system to allow you to come to a place of rest and digest. Because ultimately, that's what we're looking for from meditation, because our, our nervous system, we spend so much time these days in fight or flight. Even if work, if you think about it, at work, all you need is a small pressure and the amygdala starts going and your cortisol is being created and overactive. And that adds to so many stress, so much stress, so much disease in our bodies. And we've forgotten how to still, how to take that time, just bring all of that nervous system down. So anything you do that can support that, anything that you can do to focus the mind and bring it down is a real positive. You've actually picked up a bit of yoga, haven't you, Jonathan, over lockdown, I believe? Yeah. Well, before lockdown... An old manager of mine, Craig Budzik, he's a master yogi. <laughs> I call him master yogi, but he's, he really is a great yoga instructor. I was having lower back issues and he gave me a routine that actually resolved it in a few months, which was really good. And the funny byproduct of that is the meditation aspect of it, because I don't think I could really sit down and meditate, if that makes sense, or and be still. I wasn't able to really do that. I think it's just... I don't know. I'm just always active. So my main form of meditation up until that point, because I grew up a Christian, was mostly prayer. Because when you go through a prayer, you go through what you're thankful for, what happened in the day, and then what you would like to happen and how you would like to treat other people, right? So you get into that flow of that thought process every time you pray. And that in itself helps you sort of assess what's happened and what's going to happen, what you would like to happen, stuff like that. So when I was sort of at work and doing other things and had a family and didn't really have time to go to church or anything like that, the yoga, the byproduct of doing that filled that gap where I was able to sort of think, but also sort of move and, and feel at the same time. It's really quite interesting. So yeah, I see the benefits. 
Yeah. Many people would say that yoga really is a form of ancient religion too, wouldn't they? And, and one that's evolved into many different shapes. I had a yoga instructor who really was trying to get to the stage of not moving and get back to the, what he would call the philosophy of yoga and of effectively praying and thinking things through. And, you know, the thing that just really grabs me is that it doesn't really matter which flavor we choose as long as we do something that feels good for us in a regular way. Right, Heather? Mm. Yeah, it's about practice. And I don't know if you come across Dr. Ronglin Chatterjee, who wrote, he's got a podcast called Feel Better, Live More. And he wrote Feel Good in Five. And it's about making your practices small enough and letting them become practices. So one of the examples he gives is if all you can do and that all is right for you right now is to get up in the morning and go and lie on your yoga mat for five minutes every morning, that's a practice. I think this is really important. Jonathan, I think you might be far too young to remember the 80s and 90s. <laughs> I just remember that drop and give me 20 type boot camp type thinking and I just remember looking at people that were healthy and looked balanced and just thinking that could never be me that's too much I don't have two hours a day to get up at dawn and do a boot camp but what I've realized in time is that like you say Heather it, it could just be a little bit um, that's still helpful and sometimes it could be more helpful because if you throw yourself into doing something like a boot camp without approaching it in a careful way you can actually be doing yourself more damage than good <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and i think that might actually be how you'd injured your back too am i not um, am i not right jonathan <laughs> that you were going for it with weightlifting am i right um yes and yes and no <laughs> but yeah i think I don't know if it runs in my family i think my sister's got a poor my sisters have poor backs as well <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I was in the gym doing some lifting and uh, obviously a wrong movement when you're carrying quite a bit of weight does a lot of damage. But yeah, <laughs> always know what you're getting into when it comes to working out. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. You know, here there's something that I think would be really helpful for people is when do they know that they need some coaching and how do they go about deciding what type of coaching to look for what kind of treatment to look for how would you suggest people listening start that process if they're sitting here now thinking i need to break this cycle of being on my phone all night or not exercising or whatever not enjoying my job whatever it might be where would you suggest they could start i think that is the first thing is recognizing that something in your life is not serving you anymore or that you are struggling to get to where you want to be. Um, there are so many different reasons that people come to counselling, to coaching, even seeking holistic therapies, from relationships to confidence, to careers, to habits that they want to break, cycles that they want to break. So I think it's when you recognize there's something in your life that you want to change, but you've not been able to do it on your own. And that's where a coach or a counselor or a therapist can become supportive because they can help through processes to support the individual in them 
the individual creating the change that they want to create. In regards to where to start looking, I think, again, there are so many things on offer out there. So one of the things is being sure of what you are looking for, first and foremost. Spend some time researching, as you would with anything that you go into new, in, in understanding what is it that is being offered exactly. And then once you've narrowed it down, maybe you've had a testimonial from a friend or you've seen something from a trusted resource online. I think it's then important that you take time to speak with that person and ensure that you both feel that it is the right partnership to move that forward. That's good advice. Yeah. And again, it links back to because it, it comes from the feeling, right? So knowing yourself and then sort of making that leap forwards mm. as to what you want to achieve. When we talk about perceived potential, how would you know, thinking of it, if I think that I have a limit to my potential, how would you go about sort of coaching me to say, look, you can do far more than you think you can? Is there a process to it? Is there a framework that is applied? How would you coach somebody, say like me, if I said, I, I don't think I could achieve this goal or X goal? I think the first thing is being curious about why you have that perception hmm. and together exploring where that perception has come from and if there's any evidence to support that perception. And then it's about asking those powerful questions that open up choices and opportunity. Because quite often we have these strong beliefs that we've adopted over a long period of time from our environment, people that we love and respect, and that have worked in the past, but there comes a time when those beliefs become limiting. And it's about understanding whether it is a belief or whether it is a reality. Okay. What do you mean by belief versus reality? Sorry, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> so when we talk about belief versus reality, we can look back in history at this. So we'll take one of the great examples that's always used is nobody ever thought anybody could run a four minute mile. They believed it was not possible. And their only evidence for that was nobody had done it yet. But that's an important word, yet. But then along came someone who believed he could do it and someone that everything in place to enable himself to do it. And Roger Bannister ran the four minute mile. And we see this time and time again in the sports, athletic worlds, in many different environments where people believe that they can go that bit further and they are breaking records every single day. So one of my favourite sayings, and you'd think it come from all these great coaches of the past, but it actually comes from Audrey and Hepburn. And Audrey Hepburn said, nothing is impossible. The word itself breaks down into, I'm possible. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I love a bit of wordplay. That's awesome. And I love how just normal people who in her case were very talented and became very famous can just look at something in a non-scientific way and just say, well, it's this and this. And it's quite simple, really. <laughs> Wisdom from all sorts of places, right? Exactly. 
I find that really interesting when I look at something that I've got to get done and there's a lot of pieces to it and it's big and it's new and it's scary and I just think, how am I ever going to get this done? My way of coping with it is just to say, well, I have to do it. So I'll just start and then just put that to one side. And I know it's different ways for different people, but, but something that's really noticed during lockdown is if I, given that I'm just locked inside, literally in an attic working all day, if I do go for a walk down to the ocean in my case, I don't have to go very far before I'm feeling completely different and the solutions already come. So what's happening there? I think this is, again is mindset, but it's also it's what we call changing your state. So our state can impact on our minds. And one example of this was, I don't know if you've heard of the Harvard Power Pose, where Amy Cuddy did some research with a fellow researcher <laughs> about how our state, how a power pose can actually impact on our confidence. And what they actually showed, I think it was something like doing a power pose for just two minutes, change the body's production of hormones to the point where it was producing more testosterone, which is known for dominance, but was also reducing the stress hormones. And that's quite a famous study. So for example, if you are sitting down and you are feeling in a stuck state, then just by standing up and walking around and changing that state, you can change your mindset of where you are and you can become unstuck. That's super interesting. I don't know if this is yeah. related at all, but I can't stand still when I'm on the phone. Mm. <laughs> because it's like if I stop moving, my brain stops. You know what I mean, Jonathan? Yeah. I can say I'm a bit guilty of a few power poses <laughs> before a presentation or a conference call early days when I used to get really nervous and anxious. And I fully support the power poses. <laughs> They've helped me. And it's quite interesting that you actually feel such a difference. So what is it, Jonathan? How do you stand? Like, What did you do? Well, there was a couple. There's one where you can stand with your hands on your hips, with your, I think your legs, shoulder, shoulder width apart. I used to breathe in and out. <laughs> quite a bit there's also another right one <laughs> i feel uh i feel you know, on display like yeah like like superman <laughs> a little bit um, yep. that, put a cape on me <laughs> and i think there was another one where you can lean on a table as well i think your hands on the table and sort of leaning over i never really used i thought that was a bit in intimidating even if no one's in the room i thought oh, it's a bit weird but i really did like that one maybe it was just a psychological aspect of it but it really helped with the sort of anxiety and sort of nervousness. Um, things were pretty new to me and I was sort of thrown in the deep end. That coupled with going to the gym during my lunch break really helped as well. So those were my coping mechanisms. And as time went on, I think you get more comfortable with things and you don't tend to, to worry about it that much. But I think early doors, early on in my career, I think that was those were the, the two things that sort of helped change my state from being sort of a high stress and very fought <laughs> position to being relaxed and able to confront whatever comes at me. Do you have a power pose that you use a lot, Heather? And, and I know coming onto the show was out of your comfort zone and people won't be able to hear it in your voice at all, but did you do anything to prepare yourself for it? Yeah, I think one of the things is about showing up in the manner in which you want to approach something. So for example is, if you're coming to a really important meeting, and on Zoom these days, if the cameras are off, let's face it, you can do that in your pajamas. 
you come in a fairly relaxed state. But if you were to get dressed as if you were about to walk into a corporate meeting in a room, then it, you start putting on that suit, that mindset. But I think it's also, it's important what Jonathan was saying about, and Jonathan, we call that the Buzz Lightyear post, or I do. Yeah. how Buzz Lightyear stands. <laughs> Men's Star Command. There's also something going on there. It's physiology in our body. Because if you walk into something and your shoulders are down, your back's rounded, your head's down, if you think about it, you're restricting your breath and you're restricting your vision and your other senses. But when we walk in and we lift our shoulders back, we broaden our chest, we can breathe easier, we're opening our senses up to something. And that's what changes the physiology in our body that helps build that confidence. So for me, I think you asked me on what it would be for me in regards to my kind of power pose. I suppose one of the things that I often say to people, and I practice a lot myself, is bringing the shoulders back so you can breathe. Not straining them back, but also almost imagining like your shoulder blades or your wings and you're resting them down against your spine. And just by imagining that and doing that, you're opening up your chest and you're putting yourself into a very relaxed position. Do you feel relaxed? How about you, Jonathan? <laughs> yep, I feel like Buzz Lightyear. I love it. I like the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> what an awesome character. Yeah. I like how simple that is, Heather. And the best things are, right? Absolutely. And I think that's another key is that we shouldn't make, we often make things more complicated than they need to be. The things I'm talking about are very basic things, but it's about creating the change in a way that you are resetting the body to make it automatic. Interesting, isn't it, Jonathan? Because when somebody says I'm a psychodynamic counsellor, perhaps it's my father, the scientist. But there's part of me that's like, oh, that sounds a little bit like self-help. That doesn't sound very scientific. And yet, when everything that you've said is very logical, Heather, you know, resetting the body makes perfect sense to me, mechanically speaking. Oh, absolutely. And it's something that really fascinates me is the recent developments that have been, and I'm talking in the last 10 years or even five years, about within neuroscience and how it's opened up understanding of what goes on in the body and why we are the way we are and we do what we do is absolutely massive. I can easily lose myself in reading about that. <laughs> do you want to tell us something that will surprise us all that you've learned along the way? Well, if we talk about neuroscience, I think one of the amazing findings recently is that we always thought the ego, ourselves, our thoughts, our mind, it started to develop once you were born. Then now actually being able to show that in actual fact, it actually starts when you're in your mother's stomach. So it starts as way back as early as that. Oh, God, there's so many. <laughs> and there's also, there's many things on the impact of what happens within the chemicals and the body whilst the baby is growing that can actually impact on how sensitive and active the amygdala, the fight or flight, is 
when the baby is born. Oh, wow. Makes you wonder what babies born right now have gone through pregnancy during a lockdown. Makes you wonder if there might be a need, quite a big need, to help those babies at certain times in their lives because they've, they've gone through, or their mothers have gone through that sort of period of uncertainty, right? True. Would the adversity strengthen the baby's resolve in terms of the fight or flight? <laughs> Will the babies become more fighters? <laughs> mm, well, I tell you what, one thing I know for sure is that those babies' mothers have had a lot more meals with their partners due to everybody working from home than they normally would. Maybe that balances yeah. it out. Science is so Ooh. interesting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <'cause> it... <laughs> and I think it's really important to say to just reassure all those mums and parents out. The way I look at it is there are so many ingredients that go into the bowl of life. And you can have two people that are born in exactly the same circumstance at exactly the same time but it doesn't mean that they will become the same person or experience the same issues or the same lives. So because there are so many, so many factors that go into that, that make that recipe yeah. up over a yeah. period of time. Yeah, I, so I, I, I think that's really uh, important. I come from a family where, well, there's a lot of twins in the family and you can, they can have completely different personalities <laughs> and they're raised in the same circumstances, in the same house, in the same room, going to the same school, with the same friends. And it's still different. So many factors, so many factors. Do you think we should move on to the sharing section, Jonathan? I feel like we could just talk to you all day, Heather. Oh, yes. Holly, well, if I could just say, just to sum up, the one thing from my perspective is um, I have a mantra. And for me, I think if there's a takeaway for people to take from this in what they can do for themselves is I truly believe that if we really focus on what's inside us and invest in what's inside us, everything outside will take care of itself and what doesn't won't matter. So I just ask people to really think about how you're investing in yourself and make that investment. Mm, well said. Yeah, very powerful. I wrote that down. And I've memorized it. <laughs> oh, we're such nerds. Right, the sharing section. So, Heather, who do you most look up to in the world? Again, there are so many inspirations out there and probably people that get talked about a lot. So I'm going to go a little bit off-piste on this one and just talk about some people that I really admire and I find are inspirations. And some people may not have heard of, and hopefully they'll go look them up and find out about them. So one of the first ones is, I don't know if you've come across Dynamo, no, the magician. So. Oh, yes. I saw him. He used to, he had a show on, was it Channel 4, I think? He's like an illusionist magician. Yes, very. Incredible guy. Incredible, lovely guy. And a great example of where life can take you with the right mindset. He comes from a background where he was bullied. He suffers with Crohn's disease. And he's just such an inspiration in how he continues to move forward and push the boundaries of magic. And for me, in a not a very commercial way, when you hear him, he's got such a kind way about him. Yeah, he's very grounded. You don't get a sort of the arrogance that I'm tricking mm. you and you don't know what's right. going on and I'm going to look to the camera and be like, haha, look at these fools. He's, he's very down to earth, very grounded. And he's very tenacious what he's gone through and 
and what he's achieved as well. Did you say it was it Crohn's disease you said he had? Yeah. Yeah. I remember him saying that he didn't know what it was for a while, I think. So and he took a hiatus for a bit while he sort of looked into it and he still came back to magic and he still came back to entertaining and making people happy. So very inspirational. And he found a way of working with the Crohn's and mm. accepting what the Crohn's gives him, but still chasing and still mm. moving towards his vision and wow. his goal. Yeah. And then another one, another young person that I think she's an incredible inspiration is we heard of Stacey Solomon. Oh, can't say I have. Stacey Solomon won the X Factor. She's now on Loose Women. She does an Instagram and stuff. And what I like about her is she is extremely authentic. She presents herself exactly as who she is. She's very thoughtful. She talks through her thought processes. But I don't think I've seen anyone that age as authentic as she is and I wish that I could be that authentic oh we'll definitely link to her uh, Instagram good on her it's I presume she's quite young from the way that you talk she is young and it's terrible <laughs> I can't remember her, her husband's name but Joe he was in EastEnders and once uh, and was um, in Celebrity Get Me Out of Here, but I can't remember his name. You'll know him when you see him. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's the one. That's the one. <laughs> I'm going to blame age. <laughs> and that's okay, because this is about Stacey, not about Joe, you know? Yeah, when you look at her history as well, I mean, um, she had her first child when she was 17 years old. She has a blended family. She's very accepting of... Maybe the things that haven't worked out for her the way she would want to in life. And accepting that is the way life is sometimes, but always showing up as herself with a real kindness and openness. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Your turn, Jonathan. Ah. I think you touched on books a bit earlier. <laughs> Which are the books that you'd really like to share with everyone you enjoyed? I touched on Miracle Morning, and I think that's a great one. Um, my go-to book, one that was quite life-changing for me, was The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And he has an incredible way of explaining what that inner voice is and where that inner voice comes from and getting you to understand that voice criticises you, that nags at you, that tells you that you've done something wrong is not actually you because... Let's face it, if your best friend spoke to you sometimes the way your inner voice did, they wouldn't even be your friend anymore. That's a really great, enlightening book. And then following on from the path we talked about in regards to neuroscience, is a book I'm only just reading at the moment, actually. haven't finished it. It's The Source by Dr. Tara Swartz. And it's about the connection between neuroscience and harnessing our full potential. Wow. Sounds really interesting. I find myself wanting to read them as you talk about them, right? Yeah. I'm a sucker for neuroscience. Well, I really like hearing that might be one on my older Kindle list. Yeah. Fair play, <laughs> fair play. What about movements? Are there any movements in the world that have caught your attention and that you think are really exciting? I think in regards to a movement that is starting to happen that I think is great is actually this whole sober curious movement. Yes. Sober curious. 
there are a number of people out there. One that comes to mind straight away is One Year No Beer, who I feel has done amazing things for removing the stigma of people that want to reduce or stop drinking because they realise that life can be so much more opportunity when they're not. They achieve in more when they're not. And so it's not just about going alcohol free. It's about choosing to drink less or not to drink and to take away the stigma. You don't have to be an alcoholic to choose that uh, route. Back in, I don't know, 2005, I stopped drinking because drinking is kind of a big deal in Australia, right? And it is in New Zealand as well. and, And I know it is in a lot of especially Western countries. But I got tired of people just being bigger than me and wanting me to drink at the same speed that they did when I just didn't want to. And eventually I just thought, I've had enough of this, that's that. And so I thought, I'll just have a month off or I'll just stop for a little while and we'll see what happens. And then I thought, if I make it a big deal and I give some money away, then I'll not be able to stop. I just started up a a little thing by myself called Quit to Give where the idea was that it meant more to someone else than it did to me. I took a fraction of what I was spending in my mid-20s on beer and wine and spirits and gave it to the Salvation Army each month. And as things often do, it got out of hand. (laughs) And six and a half years later, I had my first glass of red wine. And it was a completely different type of drinking from that moment on. What was really interesting is that people, when I met people, including CEOs of new companies when I was at the first company dinner, because that's usually where it would come up as me as the guy that flew the flag of people who don't drink. And people would just look really uncomfortable and say, did you have a bit of a problem, mate? And I'd just say, no, I got tired of people pressuring me and I wanted to show that myself that I could have a good time. And I wanted to show other people that I could have a good time and go to parties and then drive home and, you know, things that (laughs) drinkers can't do. And what's really interesting is quite quickly, I lost most of my male friends, quote unquote, because I realized they were only people that I met on the dance floor or in the pub. I didn't Mm -hmm. lose any female friends. So there's a message in that for people in their 20s. And then I found that I was having coffees and having herbal teas and meeting for dinner rather than meeting for drinks. And then I just started hosting drinks because everybody else could drink. I wasn't going to, but that was all right. And I must have extended my life. I saved more than 30 grand in that six and a half years, much more, and bought kayaks and mountain bikes. (laughs) And all because some people just were trying to encourage me to drink in a way that I didn't want to. So my message is, go Sober Curious movement. That's excellent. People should be able to do what they want to do at the rate they want to do it. And it's interesting beyond that to just find that the people that are around me drink in a much more, I don't know, European way, where it's a glass of wine with dinner because it's the right wine for the right dinner, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not really a big drinker. Well, some of my friends, but my closest friends aren't really big drinkers. I think I've probably had, yeah, it it takes months for me to have at least a bit of a unit or something. I don't think... uh, I drink that often. Even when we, one of the big pressures had with the company drinks, what you said, Ollie, was quite interesting because I used to go for, we used to go for drink every Friday, um, Thursday. I was in the bar, oh, what are you drinking? What do you have? And I think a lot of the time I'd have a cranberry juice. <laughs> yeah, you find yourself going for something that looks like a real drink. You know what I mean? I liked it because you, you couldn't gulp it down like apple or orange juice and it gave you that sort of, that sort of that dry taste. So I was like, oh, okay, I could pace myself with this. I don't need to 
really drink anything and it wasn't fizzy. But you'd get that look sometimes when you tell somebody new who's, if they've just joined and they're getting around the drinks, like, oh, what are you drinking? You know, you want a beer? And I'm like, ah, oh, cranberry juice, please. Lemonade in it. And they'll go, what? What's that? <laughs> Makes for a cheap night in the pub, doesn't it? Yeah, I always used to laugh. Well done to you for that. That's awesome. Well, it kind of and well, almost and, happened yeah. by accident, but I'm really pleased. And the thing that really, that I loved the most about it, apart from the fact that I didn't have a, hang- a hangover for six and a half years, which in your 20s was like magic, and I could surf so much harder as a result, was that every now and then someone would come up to me, someone quiet, generally after someone had said, oh, mate, you should be drinking, what's wrong with you? And sort of stormed off. And someone would say just quietly, thank you. I don't really drink either, hmm. but at least you were honest about it. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah. well, you know, I get a bit of stick, but yeah. So on that theme, what is one thing that you would like to change about the world if you could, Heather? Without a doubt, our investment in mental health. And I'm not just talking the UK, I'm talking the world over. It's, I know that, especially in the Western world, we've had a huge movement towards advocating let's talk and mental health awareness. But we still don't have enough accessible resources to support people once they have taken that step of saying, I'm suffering, I need help. And that leaves them vulnerable. So I want to change it from mental health awareness to mental health action. Let's start taking some action and putting some resources around this that are accessible and available in a timely manner for people when they're asking for that help. Totally agree. And if somebody around you, someone that you care about, someone at work, starts to indicate that they need help or to ask for help, what would be the couple of things that you would advise to people to to offer to help that person? I think the first thing that people want to do is usually talk. Once they've started talking, they want to talk. And the most important thing that you can do initially is to be curious. Ask them what it's like. Ask them what they're feeling. Ask them what it is that they would like. Actively listen to them and don't put your story in it. It's not about you. It's about them. The first port of call after that should always be the GP. I say to them, have you spoken to your GP about this? But there are many, many great organisations out there. So, of course, you have the ones like Mind, Samaritans. There's also, if you're in a corporation, I don't know if you guys have heard of them, there is an organisation that is called Mental Health First Aiders. And they go around and they train people within organisations how to be that first point when people are signalling that they have a struggle. And they have a huge amount of resources that they provide you with to contact for whatever that problem, whatever it might be you're experiencing. So things from self-harm to suicide to bullying, a massive amount of resources. So there are a lot of resources out there. But one of the biggest things we need is we need people to be able to get access to professional support Mm. when they're asking uh, for it. That organisation, Mental Health Ages, they're just... They sound like angels. I'll actually see if I can bring them in at work, I think. I think that would be a super helpful skill for everybody to pick up at this moment. And where can people find out more about you, Heather, and make contact with you and your work? You are an enigma. (laughs) 
well there is not a lot out there about me but (laughs) (laughs) but i'm more than happy for people to get in touch and find out more about me and my contact details are easily accessible on linkedin social media all of the usual places so more than happy for people to reach out take a call with me if they'd like to explore anything a little bit more this one's really put me into quite deep thought and clearly Jonathan also unless you're muted because of your little one tiffing out her lungs (laughs) (laughs) it's bedtime so that would be a yes (laughs) do you want to take us home Jonathan yes so Heather I would like to say thank you for appearing on this episode of Problem Busters and we'd love to have you back uh, to discuss more of those topics that sit within the hyphenated realm (laughs) so one last thing was there anything specific you want to share with us or promote not from me i just want to say thank you it's great to have the opportunity to speak on platforms like this to raise awareness of, of some of those issues that are close to my heart but also in raising awareness for people to just invest in yourself please awesome fantastic well said yeah well said I really enjoyed this discussion and this conversation. And if you did too, don't forget to subscribe. You can visit us at problembusters.fm where you can subscribe to the podcast on your favorite audio app. Thank you again, Heather. And thank you, Ollie. It's a pleasure. And, I'm doing uh, my Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> <laughs> so am I. <laughs> <laughs> thank you all. And until next time, ciao. Ciao. Thank you.